Hey, everybody. You know, Mark and I have over 20 years of experience as therapists and as addicts in long-term successful recovery. We know better than anyone what works and what doesn't to break out of porn and sex addiction, heal betrayal trauma, and reclaim your relationship. And we've poured all of our personal and professional recovery and healing experience into a first-of-its-kind program for addicts, spouses, and couples. We call it Dare to Connect. At least four times every week, we engage with you in real time, in the trenches, giving you the knowledge and the tools to take back your life and relationship. Whatever else you've done on your journey for healing and recovery, you've never done anything like this. You know, Mark and I, we've made all the mistakes, so you don't have to. Don't reinvent the wheel. We all know tomorrow never comes. Look, don't wait one more day to change. Claim your free two-week trial today at daretoconnectnow.com. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. Morning, everybody. Steve and Mark coming at you from the PBSC podcast today. Good to be with everybody. Uh, we're excited to, for today's topic. It's going to be some some good stuff. We're going to be talking all things relapse today. As I uh, as I look back on you know my recovery history, I wish I could just you know Mark and I were talking about this before. I wish I I, I had to go back through my history and just say, well, there were like those two relapses, so I guess we could talk about those today. Um, <laughs> But it's the the bigger challenge is what to talk about just because there were so many and and uh, Mark and I both you know like many of you probably are really uh, relapses were were far more toxic and destructive than they really needed to be I I look back when I would you know one particular time that comes to mind when I uh, I remember I called my wife and and told her about my relapse and and how and how. Uh, sorry I was and how guilty I was and how shameful I felt. And, and I remember her, you know, we had this pattern when relapses would happen where I'd kind of jump in. My role was to show up as the broken toy, right? Mm. The dog that just peed on the carpet. That was me. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, I'm sitting there with my tail shaking, like rolling over my belly, like I'm horrible. Don't kill me. And my <laughs> wife uh, would show up and she kind of took the role of rescuer, right? Pick mm-hmm. me up. You know, I'm going to, it's okay. You know, we got this, you know, we can do this. And, you know, that pattern went on for a while, but over time, those started to shift more and more accountability and shame almost turned to more apathy for me until it kind of got to that point. And my wife got to that point where she was feeling less and less hope, right? And to the point where relapses, it was almost like disclosing them was sort of like a transactional experience. It was just sort of like we'd go through the dance and then, rinse and repeat really if we're being honest knowing that we were probably going to have to have that same flipping conversation in the next week to two weeks best yeah 
Yeah. Hopeless. Yep. And you get to the place. Yeah. You're hopeless. Um, you, you get resigned. You do. Resignation. You know what? This is, this is just the way it's going to be. If we're going to stay in this marriage here, this is what I can expect. Yeah. And, and enough of that gets you to the place where it isn't that you don't care. It's that you're so worn out. You're so exhausted. Your expectations have been shattered so many times, both from the addict side and the spouse side. Yeah. That you just get to the place where it's almost like you can't care because it mm-hmm. just takes too much out of you, mm-hmm. both, you know, both husband and wife. And yeah. I know, I know one of your favorites, you call it Eeyore mode, you know, <laughs> off of, off of uh, Christopher Robin, you know, the, the Eeyore. Yeah, I relapsed again. <laughs> Well, I'm just a piece of crap. Woe is me. If anyone <laughs> needs me, I'll just be taking a long walk down this dreary road alone. I'm going to go live by myself. <laughs> Life is over. Yes. Yeah. It's so easy to get into that place. Absolutely. And, you know, and the real challenge is um, it's, it's because, and I look, and I look, I, when you tell that story, I can so relate to that. And I look back and really, if I were to boil down my relapse cycle where I wasn't making progress, it's because I was really, um, it was really allowing myself to go into what you and I've called, you know, the definition of insanity. I just kept doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting a different result. And then I couldn't understand why I kept relapsing. Mm, Well, Mark, you keep doing the same things, right? Uh, And we'll talk about this in another podcast, but this whole idea that I wasn't willing to admit my areas of powerlessness. Well, I can sit on the couch and get my remote and channel surf. That's fine. No problem. Yeah. Well, except you can't. Mm -hmm. I can drive from work on that route that goes by the public swimming pool. That's not a problem. I'm a normal guy. No big deal. Yeah. Really? No, no, no. You're powerless over those scenarios. And yeah. there's, those are different from everyone. And, you know, you could probably come up with dozens and dozens of those uh, if you're in addiction to where, you know what, I keep skirting the line. I keep making exceptions. I keep taking risks and putting myself out there where I know some part of me knows that that's, that's going to end up in the same place, relapse, mm-hmm. but I don't change it. So, you know, we'll talk about, you know, breaking the cycle in a second. Um, but you know, let's, let's shift for a second to, uh, what this is like for spouses. So we were both married for long, long time in our addictions and, you know, our wives really went through, I mean, let's, they went through hell. Yes. Every time we would relapse over and over again, you know, so what, what's it like for the women? Well, and, and, you know, just, I mean, can already tell I'm gonna to have to go watch an episode of Care Bears after recording this because it is just depressing to sort of reflect on because it was such a hard time in in my marriage and I know in yours and it is yeah. in each of those listening right um, just awful um, I, I you know r- relapses are are really kind of one of those two edged swords in recovery and what I mean by that is we're gonna talk about the bright side here in a minute but what Mark is describing very much is kind of that downhill slope of the marriage slowly decaying, the wife slowly losing herself in the marriage, the husband, you know, being a little more hopeless, like, like, like was indicated, you know, with the wives that I work with, um, and, and their husband showing up kind of in that shame based place or that apathetic place feeds into this, uh, you poor wives, uh, you know, we, we really do love and care about you. And, 
have so much empathy and sympathy for you because there's so much, um, there are already so many cultural things in play for women, I think in our culture Mm -hmm. that really set the stage for amplifying the betrayal. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we live in a culture today religiously and, and, and not where a woman now is kind of expected to be everything. Yeah. Uh, She's expected to hold a job. She's expected to have a good position at work. She's expected to, you know, hang with the men on a professional level. She's expected to nurture. She's expected to be the mom. She's, you know, she be the homemaker. And, and there's already so much pressure that way. And then when you look at how women are already objectified in our culture, right, there's so much emphasis culturally on appearance and looks and sexuality and virility and all of those things that overemphasis, I think, really sets that stage. And every time I, I see far too often when when wives are working with their, well, not working with, and when they're married to a spouse who's caught in that never-ending cycle where progress isn't being made, feelings of inadequacy, I'll never be enough in this marriage, I'll never be enough for him, maybe I won't ever be enough for anybody, mm. um, right, sexually or otherwise. Usually it starts with sexually, but eventually that starts to bleed out into these other areas. I can't, I obviously, if I was supporting him more emotionally, then maybe he wouldn't be acting out, maybe wouldn't be relapsing. And so I see wives not only suffer in silence in a lot of ways because of things we've talked about on the podcast before, right? A lot of the emphasis in our culture tends to be on the addict and, and wives kind of unfortunately take a backseat in terms of priority too often. But there's also just that overall, I think that sense of losing oneself in the relationship. Mm-hmm. Because I see wife after wife give everything far and above and beyond what they should to try and save their marriage um, in, a, in a loving way, such was the case with my wife in many respects. Thankfully, she was able to get a beat on it enough to let me know uh, when we were heading down that path. But a lot of that could have been avoided. But if if she or, or I had been more aware of the cost that was really going on, because mm-hmm. she really, like most wives, was just... She was. She was losing herself in the marriage. She didn't feel it felt less like a marriage and more like something she was just trapped in. Uh, she she felt less like she had a partner and more like she just had another kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she felt like in, instead of somebody to support her, she she would find herself kind of gearing up in the day, getting ready to just deal with my stuff and to shove her stuff aside. Yep. And, and so that, that I think, I mean, in, in many respects, I think it's almost more destructive on that end because unfortunately, if we don't break through this pattern quickly enough, and I've seen this happen before, I just had this happen recently where when a guy does get serious about recovery, where he does really get on point and he learns some of the stuff that we're going to tell you today. So hopefully you can learn it quicker um, as well as the other stuff we talk about in this podcast unfortunately that goes on too long and when he finally does get serious about those things and is really ready to change she's so burned out and given away so much it is too little too late yeah and that's that that's a total tragedy um but i i like i said i i just saw this happen really recently with a client and a wife of mine that i'm working with and and uh it's it's a part of the job but you know one of the things that you and I are passionate about is having as little of those conversations in our in our offices as possible if we can help it well, and the great, you know, the great news about that is that many times, I mean, sometimes it's a, it's about the fact that a guy caught in addiction really isn't willing to do anything about it. He just sort of gives lip service and he, you know, he goes through some motions to appease his wife to make it look like he's doing something. 
Yeah. And a lot of times guys are trying. It's just that they're, they don't know what to try or the things that they're trying really are, are kind of flawed out of the gate. Mm -hmm. and, and the same thing for, for women, for wives, they're not sure what to do either. And yeah. so it, it isn't that we're, we're worthless or we're completely incompetent. It's just that this is a complicated issue. Yes. It, it's difficult to know what to do. And, and that's why you and I are here because we, we made about every mistake there was and some, you know, that no one ever thought of. Yes. Absolutely. So, you know, we've, we've been through a lot of this. So today we hope to be able to share some things uh, on breaking out of this relapse cycle. Because in a marriage, you, you easily get to the place where you're exhausted. You're mm -hmm. exhausted and you just get less motivated to try again. It's like, we're going to, again, we're going through this again. Yeah. And your energy literally just drains away until you finally get to the place where you, you just can't muster yourselves to do it again, to try it again. Right. Well, and you got so many tries in you. And it's like, yeah. oh my gosh. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I've shared that story on the podcast before. That was where my wife and I kind of hit ground zero. I mean, I, I was so apathetic and so resigned and so, I mean, just apathetic. <laughs> By, by by the time my wife finally confronted me, like kind of kicked off her recovery process, I remember telling her about that relapse that day. Uh, and I remember right where I was. And I remember thinking in my head clearly in the back of my mind, even as I'm telling her how sorry I am and that we're going to work on it, my brain's already thinking, yeah, Tuesday. Probably next Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, next Tuesday I'll start. Seriously. <laughs> like, it's depressing. <laughs> to think about because I remember having that thought pattern. It's like my brain's already just planning, not because it wants to, but just because this has become life, right? Right. And that's, and that's I think, one of the biggest tragedies. We're going to kind of sum up the, the downside uh, of, of relapses if they're not handled correctly, is it is. It's just kind of this never-ending downward spiral of, of not just the individuals, but the marriage. Yep. And um, if we were to talk, maybe, maybe before we jump into how to fix this, let's talk about some of the things that I think lead to that. They're just kind of coming to mind as I'm talking about it. The most common mistake I think I see guys, uh, make in this process with regard to relapses is it stems from their emotional averseness, right? People don't like pain. Addicts really, really hate pain. We don't do pain. Well, we tend to be very pain averse. And I have yet to run across a single guy in my line of work who after relapse, the only thing he wants to do is just to put as much distance and time and whatever between him and that relapse as possible. Yes. Bury it, ignore it. Just that was yesterday. That was last week. That was whatever. And they just want to move on. And something that you said, yeah, okay, here I go. I, I can hear a Steve soapbox coming. <laughs> something you said just like struck a chord that whole try again. If you're caught in that cycle, guys, of trying again, you've got to ask yourself the same question I should have asked myself back in the day. Are you really trying? Seriously, because if you're just getting up and doing the same crap again and rinsing, repeating, I'm going to make a real strong argument that that's not trying. Mm. It might be well-intentioned, but as they say, the road to hell is paved with those. And if you're going to do something, if we're going to make a change, then we've got to change dynamics with how the relapse is approached, and that's where it starts. You have, to, you have to start practicing doing the opposite action is what we call it in counseling, right? You start, have to start practicing doing the thing that is hardest, and that's to take a look, to, to be present with it. Because relapses, I, I will often tell clients, 
you know, are, are, are a necessary part of recovery in many cases, but there's a real silver lining to relapses. There's a lot to be learned from one if you're willing to take the time to look at it. And that's a discussion more for another day. But um, if, because relapses show us where the holes in our armor are. They show us where the flaws or the defects in our recovery plan are. Yeah. They tell us that there are still things that are not being addressed correctly or that need to be addressed differently. And, and so they're lear- they really are learning experiences. But most of us addicts, we are so, so just quick to want to get away from them as much as possible that we oftentimes will just throw that, out, that notion out there. Oh, you know, I'm really sorry. Let's just move on. I'll try harder next time. Well, and the funny thing is, is you just went through that dialogue. I think back to my, my heavy addiction years. And two things would have happened if I had been listening to this podcast as an addict and I heard what you just said. Probably first of all, I would have said, that guy's full of crap. He sucks, right? What an idiot. <laughs> and the second thing I would have done is I would have been shamed to the core and just probably turned, turned the, the crap and podcast off and went, oh, man. and went and looked at pornography. Because oh, that would have cut me to the core, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're making all these mistakes. You're not really trying. And if you'd said, you're not really trying, I said, well, you, you, you know, forget you. You mm. know, just kind of stomp <laughs> sure. off and not want to be told that I'm, right? I'm coming at this from a flawed place, from a place mm. of character defects and from a place of, you know, seeing things in this this perpetual pattern that I've been stuck in forever and not wanting to hear somebody calling me on the carpet. It was sure. I, <laughs> years ago, man, if I was listening, I'd be, that's it. I'm not listening to this guy anymore. Well, to anyone who feels that way, let me extend my apology and rephrase maybe a little <laughs> bit, but although I am going to stick with, with it, I mean, because at the same time, anyone who's listened to this podcast for any measure of time knows that for better or worse, I don't mince words. And I think I've become more and more. No, and, I, my and I'm just bringing it up just, you know, to, if there's any guys feeling that way right now, I can relate. And sure. now, by the way, I support Steve 110% on what he just said. <laughs> Even though it's hard to hear. So let, let's do like maybe a dialed down, less soapboxy version of that, shall we? <laughs> um, you are not doing yourself or your, your marriage any favors by continuing on trying to do the same thing. The sooner you can come to a place, because relapses can lead us to many places. And one of those, if you're willing to allow it to, is to a place of acceptance. Yes. I can't do this on my own. I have tried six ways to Sunday. And, and I don't say that to you guys in a lecturing tone. I'm talking just as much to my past self as, as I am to, to anybody listening. I mean, I tried everything from hitting myself in the genitals with a wiffle bat to <laughs> taking away privileges to whatever else in an effort to try and stop acting out. If we're just going to get real honest here, I tried all that stuff. Like it was, it it was a joke. I mean, it really like it got to the point of like borderline, like self physical abuse because I just, I wanted to be done with this so bad. But the problem was, is I kept getting stuck in that line of thinking that, you know, if I, if I impose a big enough consequence or if I, you know, take away enough privileges on myself, or if I punish myself enough, then I'm going to change and get better. And that'll be the thing that'll do it next time. And, well, and, and that if was we, totally misdirected effort. And if we really step back and look at that, if I look at my past, that what you just described is really my way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to recover desperately. I want this out of my life desperately, but I want it out of my life my way. 
on my terms, on my terms. And yep. it wasn't until I was ready, willing to see that first of all, and then to let go of it and say, you know what? Okay, guys, gals, everybody, I'm done with my way. I'm ready to do whatever you tell me needs to be done. Absolutely. And it took a lot of pain and failure and wallowing around for me to get to that place. Yeah. Right. To, I, I like, I call it cry uncle. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm crying, uncle. You got me. Yeah. I'm ready to do whatever, whatever needs to be done. Absolutely. So yeah, hopefully that's what people take from this. You can get to that place, the better, right? Yes. Um, and so anyway, but, but kind of moving on, keeping an eye on our time. Um, I, uh, suffice it to say that couples who are in this caught in this cycle, I mean, we've said it a couple of times now, but and we could talk about other things, but it really is just a sense of perpetual hopelessness yep. and feeling trapped. Yep. We're caught in this never-ending vortex that we're just never going to get spit out from. And what we want to do is help you guys to, to be able to experience the opposite. I, I mentioned before that recovery is a two-edged sword, and so, is, so are many specific elements of it, and relapses are just that way. Believe it or not, you can actually find connection after a relapse. Now, I want to be clear to all those addicts who might be have to have that selective hearing that I had when I was in that place of, you know, bop, 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 relapses will help my marriage, bop, 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 bop. That's not what I'm saying. Like, it's not a Charlie Brown mom selectively hearing kind of situation. Obviously, relapses are always going to be hurtful and harmful to a relationship. They're never going to be helpful. But the way that you approach them and the way that you work through them, you can actually get back to a place of connection either to where you're getting to now with the way you're handling relapses or to a much deeper place much more quickly. Yep. Because they're an opportunity to course, course correct and yep. an opportunity to collaborate. Exactly. And so we're going to talk about how to, uh, how to do that. And I guess I'll lead out with, with the addict side here and we'll kind of flip this around a little bit um, for uh, well, you know what, actually, Mark, you want to take the lead on talking about what that looks like for an addict in terms of making that change? Yeah, boy. So this is going to be a two hour podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if, 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 if by saying that you mean it's going to be 13 more minutes long, then yes. Exactly. Hey everybody, Mark and Steve here. Are you looking to take your recovery and your marriage to the next level? We work with individuals and couples one-on-one. -on -one. With both in-person and online therapy options, you have access to the experts anytime, anywhere. To learn more, visit us at pbscpodcast.com. Now let's talk about it from the side of the addict real quick. And there's a lot of, a lot of components to this, but... It, it really comes to the place where as, as an addict, I, I open myself to the truth that what I've been doing isn't working and I am now open to a better way. And mm -hmm. that better way involves a number of things, right? I, instead of becoming reactive to all the triggers going on around me, I learn how to use tools to become proactive. Big shift. Yes. I start instead of being in secrecy and shame and isolation and hiding and rationalizing and keeping pieces of the truth out of the equation, I now bring myself to a place of full accountability. Yeah. I'm an open book. I am transparent. And that is tough because yes. we've learned just the opposite in addiction. 
I can't, I can't show this. I can't, can't, uh, you know, let somebody see this whole picture because if I do, they'll never accept me. They'll never love me. My life will be done. And the addict side is convinced that that's true. And actually just the opposite is true. It isn't until I become fully transparent and open and accountable that I start to realize that I, I can be unconditionally loved. I can be unconditionally accepted. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean that what I've done is acceptable or you should just be swept under the rug. But me as an individual, I have worth that is independent of my addiction. And so this whole process of getting to this, to this place of letting go of shame, being transparent, uh, being open, uh, and really, really wanting to get down to the, the nitty gritty of this thing and what it's going to take for me to make progress. And I yeah. open myself to that full process. Yes. And it comes so a layer at a time. For me, I didn't just suddenly say, okay, you know what? Today I'm fully open. It, was, it took time. It took time to chip away at that. So that's Absolutely. the biggest thing I could say for the addict. Yeah, I mean, I, lo- I love where you're going with that. I, as you're as you're talking, I'm, the thing that's coming to mind is, you know, uh, there's an author named John Eldridge who wrote a book called Wild at Heart years mm-hmm. ago, and he he talks a lot about, you know, what it means to be a man, what that looks like, and how that looks. And anyway, I would encourage anybody listening to read it; it's excellent. But um, it also talks about what makes a guy tick, and all those qualities that you just listed, Mark, being able to be accountable, to to be transparent to stand up and be counted and to say, and to take ownership of things. These yep. are things that guys are hardwired. I would argue on a genetic, but also a spiritual level to want to do. Yes. Uh, we, we want to be the one to stand up. We want to be a protector. We want to be a leader. We want to push into the unknown and overcome and conquer Um, but one of the many consequences of addiction is it does a really thorough job in beating those qualities out of us. Exactly. Yeah. Man, man in higher, in higher self is what you just described. And addiction takes us completely out of that place. We're not being us. We're not being us. And that's why we have so much conflict inside. It's why we feel so much shame. It's why we struggle so much with it. It's like, this isn't me. Yeah. Yeah. Really moving into me, moving into who I truly am. And yeah, Very so, much so let's move to spouse because the clock's ticking. <laughs> I swear it's like, it's, it's like this podcast and therapy. I always tell clients, it's like a time vortex. I'll get to the end of, <laughs> end of 60 minutes and I'm just like, where did the time go? Yeah, where'd it go? That's so weird. But, uh, but yeah, so if we talk about uh, spouses, what that looks like, how that can change and be different and, and ought to be different, just like the guy needs to be working on that shame resiliency piece. Um, and on showing up and being proactive. You know, one other thing I'll say about the proactive piece, guys, and this needs to be emphasized because it it can't be emphasized enough. Probably the biggest factor that I see, if you want to start changing the dynamic or flipping the dynamic of how you show up in a relapse and you want to flip Eeyore mode on its head, is to start practicing some real proactivity. Um, Do not, please, please don't wait until your spouse asks you if you've had a relapse. We talk oftentimes on here about the 24-hour rule and disclosing that within 24 hours. I can't speak to anybody else, but I know that Mark and I, that is a baseline requirement in our, in our programs and in the work that we do with clients. I won't work with a client if they don't, aren't willing to make that commitment. Because if you can't have accountability and transparency in a marriage and then that proactivity increasing over time, you'll never be able to build trust. 
And if you're not able to build trust, you'll never be able to rebuild your marriage. And so being able to not just, you know, okay, you got me, you know, when, when you get caught or when your wife suspects or whatever, but being able to own that with her, why, why wait for your wife to ask you how you're doing in recovery? If I was to have a show of hands from guys in the audience who wait for their wives to do that, I think the number would be shockingly high because mm-hmm. that's what I see in my, my practice all the time is there's too much of that. Why, why wait to, to make your wife play policewoman and to play, you know, an investigator? What if you were in your, in your nightly check-ins that we committed everybody on like episode three of this podcast to do? <laughs> <laughs> what, if, what if in your check-ins every night you were the one to volunteer and just say, hey, I just want to let you know today was a great day and here's why. Or today was a rough day and here was why and this is my plan. This is what I'm doing. I mean, for, you, for your wives listening next to you or listening to this podcast, ask them if what I just said in that last six seconds doesn't like resonate to the core with them. Because that's what they're looking for you. For, they're looking for from you um anyway i could just that's a whole podcast but yes, i just want to just want to throw that out there because that's <laughs> that is that is critical um that proactivity activity place please don't put your wife in the checkbox of of being investigator and policewoman so yeah. okay so talking about spouses uh with regard to with regard to spouses uh kind of changing the dynamic uh, one of the hardest things I think for a spouse to do in, in situ, in a situation, well, in recovery in general, but especially during a relapse is to try and hold boundaries because you love your spouse, <laughs> right? You're, you're one of the things that you're hardwired to do is be a support to your spouse, be there for them, you know, help them through difficulties, all of those things. And it's not that that's bad, but oftentimes boundaries either get crushed or are non-existent in the name of love. Um, and again, my, I would reference my own experience, uh, with regard to that, my wife for a time before she was really getting honest with me about the impact this was having on me was trying to shield me from the consequences of my addiction on the marriage. She was putting on the happy face. She was giving it a pass. She was, she was, you know, we were talking about it and we talked about relapses, but we weren't really hitting on it. And, and it was a big shift in her recovery was when she started to say, you know what, this isn't okay. Because boundaries say lots of different things, but what they do say is that you can have, you you can reap that for every action there is there is a con- consequence or result, and you can reap those on either end of the spectrum, but you can't have both. And so, for I think one of the best things for a wife to be able to do uh, to begin this process and changing this is saying, you know, at some point, this marriage, whatever, wherever we're at in the process, right? It, everyone's different, but this 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 addiction, this acting out, it's simply just not compatible with this marriage being what I want it to be. Now, if that's your truth, you wives listening to that, then I would resonate with that. If not, I'm not here to try and talk you out of that. But I think for the majority of the women that I work with, that speaks to them, that resonates with them. You know, I, 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 don't, ex- I don't expect the world in my relationship, but I do expect to be chosen. I do expect to be wanted. And that's just one example in which holding boundaries is critical. The most loving thing that you can do with another person is tell them not just what they need to hear, but or what they want to hear, but what they need to hear. And I, I love it when a wife is able to say, you know what, I love you so much. I'm going to be honest with you about how this is really impacting me in this relationship and where I really am at in this marriage and how close I really am to some sort of serious action being taken in, in, in ending it. 
or not. But being able to be transparent about that and honest, that that's really loving. It's difficult and it's hard. And 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 I know that for many listening, it might even sound callous, but believe me when I tell you that it it, it simply isn't. Um, if you want to cut your therapy bill in half, <laughs> <laughs> taking actions like this are really where where things need to happen next in the in the in the in the in the process. Um, so along with that, right, sometimes uh, holding boundaries means different things. And we've talked about boundaries on previous podcasts. So we're going to refer you to those uh, to listen to. Um, but sometimes that looks like taking space for a time from from the partner, right, so that you can focus on yourself. You know, we talked about the the dysfunctional side of relapses. One of the elements of that was a wife kind of getting lost in in the relapse. Oftentimes spouses are put in this really difficult place when a husband shows up all shame-based after a relapse, they've really got two options. One is to come off or feel like they're coming off as just callous or insensitive or whatever by trying to focus on themselves or setting aside all their pain so that they can rescue their husband from theirs. And the second one always breeds resentment and disconnection in the long run. It might feel good in the short term, but, but definitely takes the opposite in the long run. Um, we need to start changing that on its head lovingly. Being able to detach with love is what we call it in counseling. Being able to say, you know what? Again, I love you enough to be honest with you. I need to take care of, I am so sorry that you're struggling right now with that relapse and those responsibilities. It sounds like you need to make some phone calls to people in your recovery group. It sounds like maybe we need to get in with our therapist again sooner or get in with a therapist like Mark or Steve. Um, we, you know, we, you know, there, it's important for you to start taking some of those actions, but I cannot rescue you from that place. One, because it's not healthy for me and it's causing me to want to distance further in the marriage. But two, we've done this enough times and maybe you have, maybe haven't. I definitely had where we were able to recognize we've done this enough times to know that it doesn't really work. Um, it's, it, it sounds nice and it looks nice, but at the end of the day, what it boils down to is me having to give up my authenticity to support another person in their shame. And that will never engender love. I don't care what the situation is. Yeah. And so, so anyway, so it's going to be about, you know, referring him to that and him directing himself to those resources. And then her, by the same token, coming to that realization, that greater acceptance, that my husband cannot be my sole support and in many cases can't even be a support to me in this situation. And that's hard for wives to do. Because with any other situation, who would you turn to? Your spouse. If anything else virtually was going on in your life, wouldn't we draw together as a couple? Yeah. And the goal with that in the long term, I think, is still that. But in the short term, trying to reach out to a spouse who you don't feel safe with is like drinking poison and expecting to feel better. Um, you're trying to draw water. I told this to a wife the other day. You're really trying to draw emotional water from a well that has nothing to give because it's so drained handling its own stuff. And so relying on an outside support system of women, again, from some sort of support group, be it therapeutic or otherwise, therapy, sponsor, um, you know, close friends and possibly close family members, if they can be trusted, going to those people so that you can find things that your husband's not able to give immediately following relapse, things like validation, things like support, things like uh, being able to, just have a listening ear and not be reactive. All those things are kind of tied up in that with the spouse. Anyway, I could just go on and on and on with that, but, but those are just a couple of kind of the beginning points. 
Well, so if we, if we close this up uh, on what, you know, an assignment that they can do, we can bring this all back now to the coupleship. Yeah. We talked about the addict and the spouse in this relapse scenario. There is actually a collaboration. Yes. Yes. We need to be both be responsible and paying attention to our own journeys of recovery and healing, but there are also some wonderful places that we can come together to collaborate on this thing. And where I'd kind of like to leave this is uh, if, if someone's listening, who's suffering with addiction and relapses and a spouse, the assignment we'd like to give is that you begin to collaborate, to discuss, to, to get together and work out a plan. How are we going to go forward from this place so that we can start to break this cycle and prevent future relapses? <clears throat> what does that plan look like? Because as a man, I can relapse and I can say, I'm so sorry. I'm, I, you know, I feel your pain. I'm, I'm, I'm so, I just apologize for what I've done. And if that's where I stop, if that's as far as it goes, and I keep playing that tune over and over again, it's going to be incredibly destructive to the relationship. What I need to yeah. do after relapse is say, yes, I'm sorry. And I, and I know I've caused you pain. What can we do now so that, so that we can strive for a different outcome as we go forward? Yes. And I, I, just to add to that, uh, it, it, that collaborative piece that Mark is talking about is critical. And we may need to do another podcast just yeah, on I'm that, sure honestly, will. because that really is a good topic. Um, but yeah, the collaboration piece, long and short of it, is only going to work, guys, if you do the individual work above. Yes. Without boundaries, what Mark is describing isn't possible. Nope. And again, therapy can be really helpful for setting those. Yep. Guys, without accountability and being proactive in your effort, what Mark is describing simply isn't possible. And again, you have to, you can tell, maybe my, uh, maybe my bluntness cup is running over a little bit today. <laughs> but you have to really take a hard look at your actions, gentlemen, um, and for, for those struggling with addiction. And ask yourself, you know, if I'm telling my, my spouse that I'm sorry, am I really sorry? And that's probably not the right question to ask. What the question is, is am I sorry enough? Because, of course, I don't want to hurt my wife and my spouse. But if I continue to do that without giving up other things, it really doesn't matter what anything else that I say. If my actions aren't matching up with that, if, I'm, if, I, if I know that there are things that I can and ought to be doing, to do something different in my recovery, to change it up, to make, make a change, to do something different. And I continually perpetually don't do that. You can say whatever you want, but you really have to ask yourself where are you make, what, what level of priority is your marriage being made? If you'll notice what I'm saying, this has nothing to do with sobriety. Sobriety will come along as you do this, but your actions have to be reflective of, of, of what you're saying. You have to be able to back that up with action. If I really am sorry and I want this marriage to be different, it's going to require a lot of change for you in different areas of your lifestyle. And, and, and I can empathize probably better than almost anyone. Me and Mark can empathize with that idea of not wanting to change, um, wanting to kind of keep that old world and, and the world of addiction. And there's got to be a way to somehow, you know, reconcile those, but there just isn't. And so uh, among the many other things that has to be happening is there has to be that element of, you know what? I'm not just wanting to change and make this better. I'm going to come to you with a plan. Here's the plan that I worked out with a sponsor, with a, a group member about what I'm going to do different. Here are the three things that went wrong leading up to this relapse. Things that I either did that I shouldn't have or things that I didn't do that I should have. And here, and for each one of those, here's a commitment I'm going to make to you going forward that I'm going to do differently for next time. 
Yep. That's how you change the sign that's head. And that's how you create connection and safety after a relapse. Because the safety comes from, again, the relapse causes a lack of safety. But what really damages the relationship is that lack of progress moving forward. And what we're doing there is we're saying, okay, we're going to love this thing enough and this marriage and nurture this relationship enough to come up with a game plan and do it different next time to actually be better next time, not to just not act out again or to try harder to, I know, and I'm, I know I'm passionate today about this guys, but I'm, I'm simply just seeing far too many guys lose their marriages with a, with a tombstone that's inscribed with, I'll just try harder next time. And I just care too much to not say it like it is. I almost was a casualty of that. That what, what is done in the recovery world of just saying, well, I'll just try harder next time. What you're doing, if you say that and you don't make changes, is you're just dragging yourself and your marriage through the longest, most destructive, most gut-wrenching, tearing process possible leading to the, to the relationship ending or, being, or becoming increasingly unhappy. And so the, that change has got to, got to happen. And the sooner you're able to do it, the better. Rant over. <laughs> uh, yep, there we go. And we're, we're out of time. We're going to close it up. <laughs> yeah, but if we were to summarize that, right? Honesty, action, being willing not to just try harder, but to try different, to try yes. effective, to do, you know, to learn what works and to be willing to be open to that. Absolutely. So there we are for today. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing all of you next time. Awesome. Just Mark and Steve out. That's all for today. Thanks for joining us. And remember, the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, it's connection. Together, we can do the impossible. To learn more about Mark and Steve and to listen to more podcast episodes, visit us at pbscpodcast.com. Everything expressed on the PBSC podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.